Yeah, I know. I don't know how they do that. You know, I, I think that there's a money-making operation here, but it's on the back end. Like, we're recording how many hours of, like, you know, unedited audio that we eventually, you know, scrub the worst parts of as yeah. per our contractual obligations and general, you know, insight. Uh, yeah, we got to get rid Zen- of a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that Zencasters, you know, their, their bag is uh, that they get the raw shit. And they will use it against us oh. in the court of public opinion. You th- so you think Zencaster is holding on to all our pro- our problematic takes? Yeah, and is going to use it's, them to cancel us? It's part of the cancel industrial process, you know, the <laughs> complex. Cancel <laughs> industrial <laughs> complex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've talked about it before, but the whole like you know people saying like you know. Um, the 10 largest corporations or whatever in the world or whatever are responsible mm-hmm. for like 80% of, um, you know, global warming and stuff. I mean, yeah, I guess. But what do you think those 10 major corporations in the world are doing? Yeah. They're, they're making you. stuff for us to consume. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like ultimately like we're 8 billion strong and like, you know, not to, 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 to make it seem like, you know, the global South is proportionally as responsible for climate change as like, you know, the fucking, rich north and uh west um but like still ultimately it all comes down to a material economy that we're all connected to and you know like it's um yeah pretty crazy to think about how to unfuck our situation yeah so on 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 today's bonus episode we're gonna do two things we're gonna look at uh housing being a commodity and uh traded as a financial instrument, uh, mm-hmm. again, because we didn't learn about we didn't learn our lesson the first time, uh, and then uh, and then we're going to look at um, Vox.com's uh, theory for decarbonizing uh, the United States and electric by twenty thirty five by twenty thirty five. Pretty aggressive timeline, considering that's uh, thirteen years from now. Yeah. Or- yeah, yeah, 14 yeah. Years from now. yeah. So uh, uh, those that things, feels weird to say. Yeah, right. Yep. Those things sound different, but as we're gonna, uh, you know, uh, look at over the course of this, you know, this episode, you're gonna find how how close these things actually are. Uh, so we're gonna start with uh, housing, right? Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, we're currently in a uh housing boom, a buyer's market, a seller's market. Um. Houses are selling for ten, twenty thousand, fifty thousand dollars above asking price right now. Like even just here in Troy, um, and is this are, everywhere? Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you're gonna ask: Is this everywhere? Yeah, yeah. Or is this mostly so. just like in the you know coastal elite cities that? No, are... I think it's pretty much everywhere. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I, uh, I I I feel obliged to put my professor hat on right now, which is do it. Uh, it's like it's like ten feet tall, and it has a, <laughs> a lot of dangly bits. No, um, it, is it, here's the thing, right? So you have, uh, you know, the Marxist take, which is also called the correct one, right? Is that <laughs> yes, um, often, you often have that. you have use value and exchange value for things, right? So yeah. there's the the value of a thing as a uh, as how useful it is, that's the use value, okay. and then um, how much it goes for on the market, that's the exchange value, right? So, okay. uh, uh, you know, um, a water bottle is very useful because it, you know, con- it 
keeps water from sloshing around. You can drink out of it, right? And that yep. it, and that is that has a certain amount of use. And then like you can translate that into a dollar amount. Uh, that uh, and and for the most part, like unless you th- those two d- different kinds of values uh, uh, get further and further apart as you do things like you know put in marketing that make people think that one water bottle is way better than the other one, even though they're identical, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in fact, a water bottle is a good example because yeah. you can actually have a negative um, exchange value where you have to pay someone to take it off your hands and put it in the ocean. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so so there's um, a whole bunch of stuff like that, right? So th- that's just the, the very basic relationship between use value and exchange value. And that's okay. with commodities, like things that you can, that are self-similar, that you can go buy at a store and are okay. tangible and you can carry them around. But then when you deal with land and real estate, things get a little bit more confusing because we exist in a a society that has land markets. So property, real estate, the, the, the land that we live on is traded like a commodity. But unlike all other commodities like water bottles, iPhones, uh, couches, you know, everything, right? There's a finite amount of it and they are not self-similar. Right. So you can't manufacture yes. okay, that. Yep. Right. So you can't make more land necessarily. You know, like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, like the, it, uh, uh, you know, you dredge up the ocean, make a new. Yeah. China's island. Islands. Yeah. You can do yeah. shit like that, but it's really, really expensive. And it, it, and at least for now, it's so expensive that it cannot compete with like just fiddling around with the price, with land prices and like stuff like that. Right. So for, yep. for all intents and purposes, uh, the amount of land is fixed, and what's more important is that it is not the the pieces of land are not self similar, right? Which yep. means that you know one piece of land can go for way more than another piece of land by virtue of you know the minerals in the ground, uh, its relationship it's to other fun pe- site, yeah. Whether it's super fun, uh, super fun site, and what's what's really interesting and and dangerous is its relationship to other pieces of land. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, it, which is which is why, and this is going to be really important. Um, uh, supply and demand curves—that myth of like you increase supply and then yep. like the price goes down—does not work with land. It doesn't because yep. uh, um, uh, land gets more expensive and more valuable if the land next to it is is considered to be more valuable right and yeah. you know that a cafe yeah a cafe in paris is only valuable because it's in paris if it were in the middle of the woods it would be valueless right yes yeah, so, right and so you get that that uh that uh um that phrase you know like location 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 right you know it's like yep. three things that are most important right uh um but, but that's also why like when uh your city builds like a luxury condo or something right and and mm-hmm. you're like, well, why why are you building the luxury condo? Like we like uh, stuff's so expensive. Why don't you build like something affordable? The 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 reply is always, well, we need to build more housing that will bring the price down, right? Because that sounds like that sounds correct because it works for everything else like that, right? If if things are too expensive, well, we'll make more of them, and then everyone will have them, and then the price the demand goes down, and therefore the price goes down. But that doesn't work with housing because 
uh, how land markets work is you have a hot market in a specific place. And that specific place, uh, if you're building more housing, the prices go up. They don't go down. Because it caters to the top 5% of the housing market. Well, like, you well, know, it does, like, for it, example, like if Troy wanted to, they could, you know, build affordable housing by building more housing and glutting the market with cheap rental units, right? Like that is like n- technically possible? No. Well, so, so the thing is, is that, um, I mean, like, I guess it's technically possible in the sense that you could, you could as a state, say, like, fix prices on on rental properties or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, then you're, you're also constricting the market of viable land. And so the price goes up again because uh, now you've created a, a, uh, um, a essentially a, a, like a um, artificial scarcity of yeah, the remaining land. It, it becomes okay, a buyer's yeah. market again, right? So you, you either have to opt everyone out of the land market really okay. or or you, you have to um like control or just control prices in some way in a really heavy-handed way so but, interfere with the market directly yeah yeah you you have to you have to you have to well, yeah it's like the markets are always going to work in this way that um drives prices up because really there's nothing in the whole mechanism you know everyone that's really heavily involved in land speculation and and land development pretty much all of them benefit from prices going up. The only people that benefit from cheap land and cheap rents are the working class, the people that sell their labor mm-hmm. in exchange for money that they use to buy shelter. Yeah. Or but only the ones that don't have shelter already, because, right. you know, yeah, if, yeah. if if say you're a working class person, you had, you know, what was on the market, $150,000 house, and you took a 30 year mortgage out on that. And suddenly the housing market collapsed. So that the $75,000 house, you still owe, you know, $120,000 mortgage plus. So ultimately, you're going to be spending like $250,000 for a $75,000 house. And you get that's called underwater. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, which is why like the the uh, uh, geographer David Harvey, right, said that the mass purchasing of homes was like one of the most conservatizing forces on the American working class was like you know getting them into land speculation was really really a really really powerful political move that got them caught up in the interests of land prices always going up uh, hmm. but the but the, 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 the strange bedfellow right the only other entity that really benefits from uh, a high from low land prices are manufacturers because okay. uh, you need a big factory Right, and you need yeah. a lot of land, um, and 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 really anything that's also labor intensive, right? Because mm-hmm. then you're hiring a bunch of people, and most of their money is going to go to rent or their mortgage mm. or something, or even their mortgage, right? Something like that. Yeah. So you could hypothetically pay them less because yeah. they can live in an area where the land is cheaper, right? Yeah. Which is why, like, you look at rural states and how their cost of living, even at the grocery store and stuff, is just so much lower than, like, coastal cities. Yes, and that's why you have, like, big uh, companies, like, car companies, before they went overseas, they went to the, they went to southern states, right? Those places that, like, uh, uh, relied on cheap standard of living, or, you know, um, or cheap housing costs, right? Like, that, they got uh, all the, the corp- corporations, uh, you know, put all their uh, labor-heavy uh, fa- uh, uh, 
either offices or factories in in those states. Yeah, so that, that that's that's just sort of like the you know setting the table for like what we're going to look at is that um you know the the, the I think the only other po- uh, point here is that and this is fairly straightforward but you have to say it in order to get it right is that like an, uh, unlike iPhones, right, that can be moved anywhere where they're needed, right? Or <laughs> scare quotes around needed, right? But you know, yep. like uh, um, you could produce more iPhones, and like they go where demand is. But with land, right, um, you obviously can't move it. So if there are uh, if there's housing shortages in Dallas, right, you can't. There's while anyone can buy land in Dallas, right. Um, you there's a set uh, there's a finite amount of places to live in Dallas, so you can't like create more housing in Minneapolis, and then uh, prices in Dallas go down or up, right? <laughs> so so um, mm-hmm. so y- y- you do have like these little monopolies that that occur um, that uh, uh, where people can buy land, but you can't create more. Uh, you can buy land anywhere, but you can only you you can't create land in a specific place. So it's like yeah, makes sense, right? So that, that's the that's another thing that um you can use to manipulate the value of things, right? So like when you have a big uh, investment fund, like what we're going to look at today, you know, like go in and um buy up an entire sub development, right? Uh, they can make the price go up without having to buy the entire like commodity of housing the way that you would have to do for like silver or lithium or you know right like mm. other commodity things right you don't need to buy the entire global supply you really only need to buy like the like restricted like restricted land markets right and and you get the okay. same you get the same effect huh all right so it's easier because of the fact that housing isn't truly a commodity because it doesn't what was the word you used? Have like, like, it's not self-similar. Self-similar. Yeah. yeah. The lack of self-similarity allows for like regional monopolization of land value. Yeah. It's, it's, it's called direct, uh, direct monopoly rents. Mm. Uh, Sounds bad. Yeah. Sounds Can't like be. that's the opposite of what people want or need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. So Brittany found this interesting article that sort of takes all of these factors and and puts them together. Yeah. So um, this piece is basically about how in the current housing market, you know, the way we might traditionally think of a housing market or the way that housing works is you have basically two actors. You have either a person purchasing a single family home that they plan to live in, or you have a rentier purchasing maybe a single unit, more often several units that they plan to rent out to people. Um, But now what is increasingly the trend is uh, like capital. So um, corporations or some kind of like corporate entity buying up single family homes to rent to people and often like like en masse, like buying an entire suburb or building an entire suburb all of which is intended to be rented out to people. And what this is doing is basically, you know, you're, you're, for one, you are competing, these huge firms, a lot of times like private equity firms, um, are competing for houses with just ordinary people trying to buy 
a house for their own personal use. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. obviously, if you are a private equity firm that has billions of dollars, um, you can make lots you, of cash you, offers. You can you, beat people to the punch. And on that's the what's happening is these firms are going to say like auctions where banks are auctioning off homes that are in foreclosure or totally underwater on their taxes. And they're going in with literally duffel bags full of tens of thousands of dollars in cash and buying them in cash on the spot. And do Normal. they have like private mercenaries that are keeping them from just like getting jacked on the way to like their ha- house acquisition? Like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, they've got fucking Blackwater. They've got Pinkertons hired to like escort them to the to the auction. Yeah. And so what this is doing is obviously driving up home pr- home prices. Um, yeah, I can and imagine. you know mortgage financing is right now cheaper than ever. Uh, mm-hmm. Interest rates are incredibly low. Thank you, MMT. Thank you very much. Um, and so, you know, what we're looking at is the first generation of Americans, the first the first generation ever, not like literally being so priced out of the marketplace that they will probably never be able to own a home because what this is doing is permanently making housing more expensive. Like these like how house prices don't really go down the way like David was talking about, like a lot mm. of other commodities do, because it's not really tied to like the production. exchange value it's not really tied to demand um yeah. everybody has to live somewhere not everybody mm-hmm. has to have an iphone or a banana or a particular t-shirt everybody mm-hmm. has to live somewhere and so this is making housing more expensive both for people who would like to own their own home but also obviously for renters because mm-hmm. if landlords are also paying higher prices um for for housing then they are charging higher rents of course, they charge higher rents, you know, regardless of how much. Yeah, whenever the, they can. Yeah, whenever they can. Um, and because land itself is valued based on the value of land around it, mm-hmm. it's creating this sort of perpetual motion machine of increasing house prices. Yeah. So if you think about it this way, like abstract it out, kind of make it more uh, uh, understandable, right? Let's say you have, there's this fictional uh, village that has 10 homes, right? Mm-hmm. and and a cartoonishly evil capitalist buys uh, six of them, right? So okay. he has a 60% uh, control market over this share. village. Yeah, yeah, market share. And before that purchase, all 10 homes were worth $100. And then this uh, capitalist buys them for $500, right? Okay. Yeah. Right? So now there's only four left. And 60% of the market is worth $500, not $100, right? So any because other... what something is worth is what people are willing, willing to, pay to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and because... so if you have somebody who's accumulated a vast majority of the cap or the species wealth, they can afford to pay quite a lot. Yes. And they can uh, dictate prices to everyone else, right? This is what the indirect monopoly rent is. Or sorry, mm-hmm. the direct monopoly rent is uh, saying, okay, well now... In this village, homes are worth five hundred, not one hundred, and mm. the the uh, and, and it really would all, it it would really only take like no one ever buying those last four homes for the prices to go back down. But as Brittany was saying, right, we don't People have gotta live. we got to live somewhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and so what will eventually what eventually starts happening is because no one has the in this fictional town, right, like the five hundred dollars to uh purchase by the remaining homes yeah. r- purchase the remaining homes or they don't even have the um 
uh, uh, the the uh, credit rating, the credit available to purchase them uh, on loan, right? Uh, the th- that creates uh, an opportunity for that capitalist to buy the other four and then lease them at exor- at whatever rate they want, right? Because now they 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 really are just the monopolist of these of these ten homes, and then uh, and then, so direct so that's direct monopoly rent is is buying and selling the actual land itself. The indirect version, and this is the real kicker, and this is why you should buy my book after I write it and it eventually comes out in a couple of years, right? Is, you know, is, um, is the kicker, right? Is that this indirect monopoly rent where like, let's say this, this village with the 10 homes is famous for being a small village with 10 homes that only one person owns. All the very, it's a very strange place. Right. Yeah. Um, and, the, and they're exceptionally cheap at only $500. Right. Um, uh, uh, you could sell a t-shirt that says like, I went to the 10 home village and all I got was this lousy shirt. Right. Yep. And and but that shirt selling that shirt in Kansas City doesn't make any fucking sense, right? It only makes sense Got selling it, it at okay. that place, yeah. right? Got and so it. and so mm-hmm. now that becomes uh, uh, valuable as well, just by virtue of it being physically close to this place that I just described. That is interesting for some reason, right? Okay. Uh, so um, and and so now that that only really comes into play here when you start thinking about like well. Uh, Blackstone Group, the company the uh, that you know like underwrote the merger of several companies that you'd never heard of to make Invitation Homes, which is in this article, is is uh, Invitation What's Homes. What's an Invitation Home? Invitation uh, Invitation Homes is the largest owner of single family homes in the country. They own about eighty thousand single family homes that they rent. So, so they like, invite you to rent. Is that yeah, where yeah, the invitation they, comes? <laughs> <laughs> they, they invite you to go into debt for the rest of your life, and and um, yeah, they and they they um, it, it's just like an enormous private equity firm that owns a bunch of houses and uh, will rent and and rents them uh, to uh, to people. And you know, and they like they they how inviting, yeah, right. You know, and they 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 offer like you know, it was like because we're so big, you know, like we'll. Uh, you know there's fast and very uh professional customer service and shit like that so you're not dealing with like some asshole landlord that like hires a a a dishonorably discharged navy vet to like show up in your house at 6 a.m to smoking a cigarette to change your (laughs) uh uh, fire extinguisher or something true story that Brittany and i had to deal with yeah Um, that happened to me yeah yeah but um wow. but yeah the the idea is is basically like as as you get these bigger and bigger firms controlling more and more of the housing stock they get a a, a bigger and bigger say in the price of all homes right because every time hmm. they buy a sufficient supply and it doesn't have to be 60% right it can be a plurality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it can be 20% yeah right you know if if they just buy a significant amount of the homes they dictate prices of of all land and and that's and then that's a very controllable um spigot of 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 money right you know like they if they they just want to purchase a couple more homes here a couple more there they they can very uh predictably rise and or or, or you know increase or decrease the price of of their assets uh, hmm. uh all and we just have and we just have to pay 
So you're saying that you only need to expropriate one company's holdings to have 80,000 homes <laughs> under, uh, you know, collective ownership? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's, that is that, a nice way to look at that it. That is the I other like way that. to look at it. Yeah. Huh. And yeah, so it's worth we, talking about why renting is like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is sort of obvious and doesn't need to be said, but like, you know, renting is the equivalent of having your labor exploited oh, yes. for profit. Yeah. Because yep. while the while the value of the home will only go up by and mm-hmm. large, um, and therefore your rents will only go up. You'll never your landlord is never going to knock on your door and say, Surprise, I'm taking a hundred dollars off your monthly rent. <laughs> yeah. Um so they're also so yeah. Sorry. The landholder is increasing the value of their holding while you are decreasing the, you know, first of all, your apartment gets shittier and their landlords are notorious for not taking care of the property that they rent to people. Mm -hmm. And so it's basically like your cash every week is being extracted to pay for the property taxes, which will always go up, the mortgage, which eventually will not be paid if it ever had to be paid at all, because they very likely, you know, oftentimes they buy places like this in cash. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, it is the... uh, uh, Jody Dean recently went on uh, True and On... And it was a really good interview. Uh, but she has Who's written Jody this. Dean? I don't think I know. Jody Dean is um, a she's a professor and a writer and a communist. Um, okay. And she's really, really intelligent, really wonderful writer. Um, very, and she very clear, has, straightforward, like very not, not straightforward. Around the bush on a bunch. Good agitprop type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like the, her writing is is excellent for like converting people. She's what I would call the organic intellectual, which uh, Antonio Graham she wrote about, which is the person who goes into the academy and gleans the radical knowledge necessary to radicalize the working class. And so that mm-hmm. person acts as a mediary, uh, intermediary between academia and the working class to spread radical ideas. Um, and, and she can drink, man. Like we like. Like, oh yeah, went, went out drinking with her, and, and like she, <laughs> you can hold her own. Like she, yeah. she, she knows what she knows what's up. Yeah, but she's recently been writing about this, like uh, the growing serfdom of modern day capitalism, and how yep. you know it is like, um, you know, serfdom was the system of the you know the economic mode prior to capitalism, which is mm-hmm. where you know you don't own your land, you just work and. You know, it's it's essentially like a more exploitative form of, believe it or not, it's more exploitative than capitalism. It's why yep. Marxist material, you know, dialectical materialism shows capitalism as like an evolution out of serfdom, a better yep. form. Um, but she's talking about how we're basically like reentering a new mode of serfdom. And I think that what you see with this model of land ownership is exactly what we saw under you know, a, a mode of a mode of production and and economy of serfdom is that like you just you never get to own anything. Nothing is yeah. ever truly yours. And everything you do is in service of some other entity that extracts value from you. And I, I had a debate with somebody, uh, who, you know, a self-styled uh, socialist um, that, you know, you both know, actually, but I won't, you know, blow put put them on blast. 
But essentially, we were having, you know, like a pretty friendly debate discussion about the relative morality of becoming a landlord. Um, Because, you know, it's my opinion that the root of the evil in our society comes from rentierism. And that like, as socialists, we should be pretty principled about like our rates and, you know, direct efforts at direct exploitation of our fellow, you know, human beings. And the idea of like owning a property, like a two family house and getting someone else to move in and pay your mortgage, buy you a house so that you were talking about, uh, Brittany, the, you know, when you're renting and the rents go up and stuff, that's depriving people from the savings that they may be able to accrue such that they could own enough capital to, shield them from exploitation, i.e. their own, you know, car, so they don't have to pay a high interest car loan, their own, you know, um, home so that they don't have to pay either a very expensive rent or uh, a very high interest mortgage or otherwise. And that like, there's a moral problem in being a rentier, you know, somebody who's getting someone who has less capital than them to give them a big portion of their paycheck so that you, you know, who have more than them can get an asset paid off by them, which yeah, is it's like no different than being a boss. Yeah, it's yeah, it's fucked up. And the um, uh, debate we were having was, well, look at the alternative, which is to say, I can be a small landholder and I can charge, you know, some reasonable, even sub median market rent. And it is incentivized enough for me to not just put all of my investment in a single family home, but to like own, you know, a structure that could fulfill more needs. And if I don't do this as a moral good, you know, socialist leaning person, then you're going to have these fucking mega corporations that own 80,000 buildings, snap it up from the auction list and like, you know, turn it into a rent factory for for them. And like, you're going to end up with the same people being exploited, but for more to a faceless entity slumlord, you know, sure. versus yeah. like less to me, the friendly guy that lives next door. And it's like, yeah, while that may be true, that is enriching yourself based on the premise that this fucked up situation we have normalized in our society will not change as opposed to trying to change the s- fucked up situation in the first place to the point where it's not normal. And I, you know, I don't really know. Ultimately, like, I, I, I'm of the opinion that, like, exploiting people who are poorer than you is bad. Don't do it, um, especially if you can, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, own your own stuff so that you can be independent. And that, like, some type of moral independence comes from lowering your cost of living, which is to say your expenses in the marketplace, as opposed to, you know, taking in rentier income from other people who have no better alternative. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, if you if you think that you can be the lesser of two evils by renting to someone, okay, fine. Then rent to them at exactly the cost of the building. They or pay, give them equity. Or right? and, like give them half the home. Preferably and, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Buy it buy a two family place. You live in one part, they live in the other, and they pay half. And yeah, and if and as they pay half, um, they eventually own half of the you know the 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 title or whatever the 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 what is it called uh, when you own a home? I forget. Yeah, yeah the, title. the deed. The deed. The deed. Yeah, the deed. Yeah. yeah, they get half the deed. They get half the 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 value, and then essentially, if they want to move away, you can buy them out. Yeah, you know, make, like I, make some sort of LLC where uh, that that actually owns the building, and you you're just like co 
owners of the company or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you want to make a make an argument for cat for compassionate rentierism, then that's the way that you would do it. Like, yeah. And and furthermore, we were talking about uh, the Troy DSA's effort to create a housing uh, tenants union, which is a really great idea. And I'm glad that it's, you know, well on its way to uh, getting that kind of thing off the ground. Um, but the next logical step is a housing co-op sure. where the union is the provider of the housing. And that, you know, you could hypothetically get to a zero exploitive situation where you very efficiently through a network of, you know, supers and, you know, repair people and et cetera, maintain a large amount of housing stock through like a democratically, you know, engaged organization of people that are all equal stakeholders. And they, uh, you know, collectively own the land of all these buildings that they rent to themselves at no exploitive profit, which would be fucking amazing. And, you know, like the real challenge, right, is that you need to accumulate a lot of capital to be able to do that and accumulating right. capital from the people who are the most exploited in society. Granted, that's where it all comes from <laughs> is <laughs> difficult uh, on their own initiative to, you know, do without, you know, like um, fucking uh, expropriation. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and that's like the expropriation really is the kind of like the the linchpin here right because if you don't because w once you do have the property and you are uh realizing the use value of it right not the exchange value then everyone mm -hmm. there can save their money right because if you are yeah. still selling your your labor for cash right then then you're like saving a a fuck ton of money not paying a capitalist rent Right, you're you're mm -hmm. you're just paying the cost of maintaining the the um the shelter that you live in. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. like w once you can do it, it, it radically increases the the cost, like the 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 um wealth of 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 the community. But it is it is super hard to do. It's really really hard to do. Yeah. I, uh, um, before we move on from this article, we should we should mention the like the other half of this, which is right. So like, not only are these enormous companies um controlling land and shelter but then the other side of it is that they then create financial instruments from those ownership uh st structures right so they own a bunch of equity right and the and 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 debt and then they do something that should sound uh dangerously familiar to to everyone that lived through the great recession right is that they bundle that up and then they sell so this those... is like rent futures yeah kind of um let's see from the from the article that's that's fucking um, cursed shit like yeah. we are all conspiring to make sure that rents go up 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 so Invest in rent futures today and, you know, like you can get in on the, the fucking expanding rate of exploitation that we're going to force everybody to endure. Um, limited housing supply, low rates, a global reach for yield, and what we're calling the institutionalization <laughs> of real estate investors oh has set God. the stage for another speculative, speculative investor-driven home price bubble. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, global... What was the the phrase? Global uh, expanse for global reach yield? for yield. Global reach for yield. That will be bouncing around my head yeah, like right. a fucking pong ball, like for the next <laughs> like 
10 months. Yeah. Global reach for yield. Yeah, that's fucking, that's the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so this is, of course, from the Wall Street Journal, right? So they're 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 being very fair to capital, where they say uh, the, oh, yeah. that boom, the the uh, 2008 financial crash boom, was different, fueled by loose lending that enabled individuals to speculate on home prices by racking up mortgages they could repay only if home prices kept climbing. The money party ended. <laughs> money party. Uh, ended a few years later <laughs> when home prices stopped rising. The ensuing crash wiped out eleven trillion uh, in in value, um, and then financiers stepped in. Right, and so like so here, I, it seems like the issue is that like we're like these enormous companies are just going to create like 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 essentially like you know like a Robin Hood for investing in the debt of of real estate <laughs> and Jesus. it's going to be an even bigger explosion because it's just like f- and way more concentrated debt uh that uh can be bought and sold probably by retail investors the same way they do game st- GameStop stock it's going to be fucking horrifying no i'm telling you man this is a triple a investment we got all these people living in these cities with outrageous rents that are going up like 3000% every year and they're going to continue to be able to pay the rents because they're <laughs> fuck, they got gumption they got grit they got american fucking grit and you well, know and jobs get, are getting get better in. and better all the time and better paying and you know there's <laughs> right yeah of course other commodities yeah. are going down in price so you know yeah, yeah. that's good why wouldn't it? that's another piece that's worth mentioning here mm-hmm. too is that like after the collapse in 2008 there was a ton of regulation to make it much, much harder to get a mortgage, um, which in some ways is good. You don't want mm-hmm. banks to be irresponsible in giving people loans that they know they can't repay. But the way that they did that was by tying eligibility for a mortgage very closely to the type of job that you have, which is a job that is salaried, that you have mm-hmm. been in for, you know, when we were buying our house, it was almost impossible because I was a bartender and David was an adjunct. And we didn't, we couldn't show a solid employment history that, that, that is based on a salary. And so now as the job market ever increasingly becomes, you know, a serfdom where you are driving around people's groceries for like three cents an hour or whatever. uh, So like people are not only just being priced out by these, you know, private equity firms that are buying all of these homes. But they're also being systematically denied the opportunity to even take out a massive mortgage loan because they don't have the type of job that has characterized the American economy for the last, you know, 80 years. Yeah. Um, so and there's really this, like this a isn't lot. redlining. This is gig workers need not apply. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and on, on top of all of that the the uh, these enormous companies have access to really really cheap borrowing rates that no one no individual has so they can they can yep. bar so even if they don't have the money they can borrow the money and at like 2%, you know two three percent that uh not even like a, a perfect credit rating would and, get you and, in the in yeah. like the the retail mortgage market. So yeah, and if you if yeah. you were a billionaire, like why wouldn't you loan these people money at like negative interest rates? Like they're going to ensure a greater amount of exploitation capacity over the next ten years. 
Well, and they're going to have like the too big to fail problem, right? So like if yeah. or or opportunity, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if if they don't blessing, yeah. So if 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 they go belly up, like it's probably going to be insured on some level. Cool. But. Very cool. Very cool system that we have. I really like it. It's pretty ingenious. <sighs> Definitely well, the know, most efficient way to allocate resources. <laughs> well, like Marx talked about this, right? He's like, first you got to go to capitalism, and capitalism tends toward monopoly, and then. You arm the people and you take over the monopoly and you got communism. <laughs> if so, fucking facted. That's the, the synthesis, right? Oh, Buck. All right. Uh, so I've got a, another extremely uplifting topic that we Ooh. can get into. Yeah, let's do it. Decarbonizing the economy. I guess sounds sounds easy. Sounds easy enough. Have you heard about this? Decarbonizing? Yeah. yeah, that's when you uh, put your weed in the oven at 220 for 30 <laughs> minutes, right? And activate the THC. Yeah. Yeah, you got to dry the water off. Yeah. Because that's, th- that, that, that's thermal mass. Uh, yeah, no, so, uh, yeah, listeners to show know that there's this thing called climate change, and it's real, and it's primarily Valid. the result of carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide is in our air, in our water, uh, in increasing amounts. I think it was um, more and more. 420. Uh, yeah, more and more. I think it was 420 parts per million, um, nice. I think, last nice. year. Blaze it, blaze. Uh, and <laughs> it's only going up. Uh, and this is really bad because uh, carbon dioxide uh, diffuses into water. Um, and if you've ever drank a bottle of seltzer, and you notice that bite that it has uh, beyond the uh, bubbles, that's because there's carbonic acid in that water, uh, lowering the pH and making it actually highly acidic. And the same thing is happening to our oceans, which is causing uh, things like krill, the basis of uh, the food chain uh, for mammalian and fish life in the ocean, uh, to have trouble reproducing and yada yada, and we're fucked. So... The solution is to get the carbon dioxide either out of our atmosphere through processes known as sequestration, which we can touch on lightly in this episode, but that really almost deserves its own episode Um, because some of it's complete hooey and some of it is probably the most important technology that we're going to have to grapple with in the 21st century. And some Um, of it is trees. Yes, most (laughs) of it is trees. Most of it's trees, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like kelp and like, you know, ocean, like plant life and all that. It's very important. Um, and then the rest of it is soil, uh, remediation, to be completely honest, because you can trap carbon dioxide, uh, into, um, uh, charcoal and you can put it underground. You can, uh, you know, have, uh, cows just continue to shit and, uh, you know, dig in humus into the earth. Uh, basically trapping carbon for like decades and decades. This kind of thing um, is probably going to need to be uh, done. But what we're going to focus on for this episode is uh, Saul Saul Griffith's approach, which is, uh, you know, the title of a forthcoming book called Electrify Everything, which is to say that if we can move all of our energy utilization as a species to electric sources, we can then feed the grid that powers those sources from only renewable technologies getting toward net zero carbon emissions. And the, um, the work that Saul is doing um, with his company, uh, Other Lab, um, is uh, basically trying to 
like concatenate all of the energy information that the government has and looking into uh, potential paths by which at least the United States go- uh, government and economy could become completely electrified and thus, you know, able to be run on renewables uh, by 2035. And what is interesting about Griffith's approach is that it makes no assumptions about political will changing. It makes no assumptions about um, our imperial position on the global stage changing. It makes no assumptions of any technologies such as carbon sequestration uh, being advanced. Essentially, the only thing it really says needs to be advanced is battery technology. And uh, it basically says with the technologies that we have on hand, we could do this but it would require a World War II style mobilization of the entire, uh, you know, American economy to pull it off. So let, let's let's break some of that down already, right? Is that so? Part of electrifying everything would be like airplanes that use jet fuel, like need to run on batteries, and yes. every single that sounds easy. Yeah. I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, every single home that. Um, that uses like a gas furnace to, for for uh, um, radiators and stuff that all needs yep. to be turned into something electric, yep. right? So it's just any any your your gas stove needs to go away, right? Like all yep. of the things that take a fossil fuel and directly turn it into usually heat uh, heat or go mm-hmm. energy, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, has to be turned into uh, something that a battery stores and and dissipates and stuff like that, right? Yeah, batteries. There's other ways of storing, you know, uh, energy to put into electricity. Like, have you guys ever heard of a concrete battery? Yeah, like where you like winch up a big rock and like you yep. let it go down. Yeah, 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 yeah. You basically yeah. have like a, a sky crane building itself a wall and then unbuilding the wall perpetually based on demand. <laughs> That's, that uh, sounds that's pretty one cool. Way. Yeah, yeah. That's one way. Another, the simplest way is uh, a hydroelectric dam. You pump water into the dam when you've got extra electricity on your grid, and you let it power turbines when you don't. Like there, you go. You got energy storage, and so that's a battery. It's just water, you know, that you can drink, and you know, like the beavers are probably jealous, but you know, otherwise, like <laughs> it, it works. Um, and yeah, uh, this is a monumental task. And uh, what Griffith is uh, proposing, which is interesting, is that instead of trying to figure out how to retune our economy so that it directly fulfills people's needs with the least amount of extra effort and energy production, um, we keep our capitalist market economy, we keep our imperial position, and we simply force companies to retool to manufacture heat pumps, battery backups, solar power, wind power, hydropower, uh, gear, you know, products, um, like both on government grants and, you know, uh, orders as well as, uh, financially incentivize the production and purchasing of these by regular, you know, market entities such as homeowners. Um, Right, so, it seems like yeah. Sorry. Okay, I, I was just going to read from this is sort of at the top of the the um, the Vox article that that we're that we're looking at. In a nutshell, he he being um, Griffith, Saul Griffith, yeah, has shown that it's possible to eliminate seventy percent to eighty percent of U.S. carbon emissions by twenty thirty five 
through rapid deployment of existing electrification technologies with little to no capture and sequestration. Doing so would slash U.S. energy demand by around half, save consumers money, and keep the country on a 1.5 degree pathway. That's like the, you know, keeping the, that's a planetary increase of of heat um, without requiring particular behavior changes. Everyone could still have their same cars and houses. They would just need to be electric. Sounds like different cars and houses to me, but. (laughs) Yeah, here's one thing that I already don't understand is like, how do you power like a Ford F-150 that's electric? Well, they're they're actually Ford is making a steel. (laughs) <laughs> sorry ford is Cyber actually show. making uh uh, uh an electric f-150 yeah. but it's not going to be i mean i don't unless something like dramatic has changed about electric cars and the uh amount of power they're able to like generate with an electric car system mm-hmm. like part of me part of my skepticism about this begins with uh my experience of someone rolling coal on David and I when we <laughs> still had our, our Yaris. Yeah. We were driving in like somewhere in rural-ish upstate New York. And I, I you know, I knew the phenomenon of having somebody roll coal on you. Yeah. yeah. But I had never experienced it before. It is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, because yeah. you can't see where you're yeah. going for, you know, a solid like five to ten seconds. Um, which feels like a lifetime when you're driving a car at 50 miles an hour. But like, I think of that person and I try to imagine what their reaction will be to having to drive an electric car. The government is taking your, your car away, your truck away and replacing it with, yeah. So like, right. So yeah, there, there's like a technical and a cultural difference here, right? Technically, Um, it, and because this is Vox, that's all they care about, right? It's 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 completely possible, right? The 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 fact that you know, like an electric motor is much more efficient at taking the energy mm-hmm. stored in the battery and putting it directly to the drivetrain, right? So like you yep. you don't lose almost you lose almost no energy moving uh, electrons from the battery into to the tires, right? It's very yep. it's very very efficient and in that way. The towing capacity goes up. The zero to sixty speed goes up. Like all, all of it. Ha- Regenerative uh, braking, which is huge yeah. when you drive around a five thousand fucking pound truck. Right. Yeah. So like all of that stuff. Like so technically, all that so stuff. So the works. truck could be the same. Yeah, like or the experience of driving it. Yeah. Could be the same. Yeah, it, okay. Yeah. Cool. It, I didn't know that. It, it, hi, hi, yeah. Hypothetically, could. Yeah. I guess because yeah. Priuses are such like wimpy little cars. I always assumed that like that is what an electric car has to be like. But okay, well, good to yeah. know this. I mean, like if you if you look at say uh, Teslas, for example, Teslas take sort of the F one fifty approach. Like a Tesla is a ridiculous vehicle to own. Like it does not need to be like it is. Like it uh-huh. has incredible acceleration, has incredible range. It's like it'll explode. Like you know, it's, it is <laughs> it's so cool. It is, it'll explode. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a very different kind of take than say Chris Scully would approach electric vehicles. Yeah. Like the way I would do an electric vehicle is you make the thing three feet off the ground. Everybody sits down real low, like low rider style. You have basically motorcycle suspension and wheels and you make it a tadpole like, uh, you know, tricycle, two wheels in the front. So it's got, you know, stability and curves and stuff, but you give it a fairing and you make it super uh, aerodynamic and you make the thing weigh like wet with people in it, maybe 1100 pounds. 
And that but how would, would you haul zero. stuff around? Well, that'd be the thing. You'd have to uh, divert a lot of the hauling stuff to, you know, trains because trains are extremely efficient. Because yeah, but how it, do it, I get like like uh, f- uh like p- wood to my house? How do I if I want to go buy a washing machine? How do I get it to my house? Yeah, well, there would probably be you know uh, utility trucks, for example, that, that you would, would like not rent be, or yeah, that wouldn't yeah. be your fucking everyday commuter to go to your sure, fucking yeah. office job. Right? No, yeah, I, mean? I totally agree like, with you. I'm just saying, yeah. like, I'm just like thinking out loud. You know, yeah, no, no, the... these are the things that the Vox article like somewhat touches on. But th- what I really wanted the meat and potatoes of this episode to be about to like really try to get down to brass tacks, like mm-hmm. wrap our minds around the technical things involved with decarbonizing or i.e. electrifying everything. So yeah, okay. Okay, so then let's let's uh, step forward then and look at like yeah what 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 is like what is the technical feasibility here because we, we've you know like yeah uh, uh, an electric F one fifty could rock just as hard as a as a gas powered <laughs> one it, it'll it'll uh, um, make, make all the ladies wet it'll make all the ladies yeah. wet it'll, uh, uh, it'll your dick will be hard forever maybe and, you could have a dry ice compartment so that you yeah. can like roll dry ice on Dang like booms. smaller it'll be, it'll like, be a big vaping gayer, like yeah. pussy cars yeah yeah your car will <laughs> vape at the haters okay just... i like that a lot i like that yeah i mean right, so like that is the other component here is like that i said earlier right is like there's a technical one that's what vox cares about and technically it's possible the cultural part is really hard that Brittany was saying was right like like rolling mm-hmm. coal is like just as functional right for a lot of people and not insignificant number of people the cool thing about the truck is that it's deeply inefficient and it triggers the lips (laughs) right like that's that that is a point to to a lot of these cars right so like so maybe they just come with one of those stickers of the guy peeing on something and he's just like peeing on (laughs) like the demo like the d democrat yeah 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 you really just need to like just imbue this thing with as many like like just get real postmodern with it like and just built-in many... truck nuts like a really nice truck nuts you're, yeah. you're exactly right though i think that you basically you get the people who rock the simultaneous come and take it and blue lives matter flags and you like make a new movie like robocop 2030 and he's fucking riding around in a cyber truck yeah and he's rolling coal on the fucking libs that are like protesting the forever wars rolling and, electrons you know, like, because that's like you know they fucking love robocop okay i think if we were to if we could get other cultural signifiers uh associated with these electric vehicles that would satisfy you know the most reactionary regressive members of our population i think it could Mm -hmm. work if we did that all all car packages from now on all all trim packages are just different cultural signifiers yeah yeah exactly (laughs) Yeah, I think I think that's like where you we're can going. get like the coexist car, and that's yeah, like yeah. your standard like Prius, Yaris, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. then you get like your uh, come and take it truck. Yeah, you get your anime gun girl. Yeah, and just depending on whether it's you know wearing a a hammer or sickle or you know like a a fucking swastika on, on its shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. okay, I like it. Yep, you get you get both sides. Um, so yeah, that'd be like the individual approach, and that's mostly what uh, Griffith's proposal is. It's like a co- it's a command and control economy that would take over some industries through a combination of like 
basically like, um, you know, declarations and like state intervention, as well as like price incentives, and would also be targeting like individual homeowners to like switch over every single time you lost a gas heater, for example, it would be illegal to get another gas heater, like it would be a heat pump. And some of the numbers that they have here are just like wildly inaccurate. Like as somebody who just got uh, solar put on, you know, a thousand square foot roof and uh, looked into battery backup for it and looked into an electric vehicle um, and looked into heat pumps, I could only afford to do the roof solar. And while it cost me, uh, you know, 20 grand out front to do the roof and then 10 grand I got back from financial incentives, which are similar to what Griffith is uh, proposing for he says here that with 40 grand you could have solar on your roof heat pumps heating your home an electric vehicle in your garage That's and absurd and battery backup for for to run a house like off the grid that is so to crock of shit maybe in 2030 we'll be able to like efficiently produce that kind of thing for a sum total of 40 grand but like that is more likely near 100 grand like in actuality for like, you know, a mid-sized home. Yeah. I mean, um, we just had a heat pump furnace mm-hmm. put in and, uh, you know, the other thing is that like, okay, you want to do solar panels on your roof. You have to probably replace your roof. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's, no, it's uh, the same house for the same house, same car. <laughs> <laughs> it's just electric. It's just magically electric now. Yeah. Yeah. And like this, article does not get into any of the actual political, socio-political, technical, geopolitical challenges associated with this. For one, it just says that, you know, uh, we could hit a 1.5 C cooling or heating rate and cap it there if America does this. Wait, wait, what? (laughs) Like, we're only, what, 5% of the global population? Like, yeah, we're responsible for most of its pollution. But, like, what we do in particular isn't going to necessarily save or necessarily doom the planet like i guess the in in, the inference is that other people would be also doing this and that every country would have to be doing this kind of thing but when you think about that then you have to think about the rare earth minerals and the mining operations and the extraction and the waste production and all of this stuff that happens on a geopolitical level like we were just talking about how moss just won back bolivia from a coup government that is now being in jail that overthrew Bolivia, primarily on behalf of global capitalists who wanted the fucking lithium. Yeah. Yeah, that was when you first sent this article to us uh, earlier this week. My very first thought was, uh, this is just one more example of the West through imperialism using the global South to solve problems that it created. Mm -hmm. So like this heavy reliance on battery technology just basically means that we will once again, as we have done and continue to do plunder uh, the developing world for its natural resources so that we can make our, because we want our cars to go zoom. Yeah. Like we would rather do that than build high speed rail that doesn't rely on battery power because cars need to go zoom. Yep. That's, that's pretty much a, a, a very legitimate critique of this approach. Um, and I agree uh, that that was also like one of my first thoughts here. Um, but then there's another huge omission here, which is global trade. So the idea of electrifying all of the big tanker shippers, like the one that just got fucking stuck in the Suez Canal. Sailboats, like, Chris, come on. 
<laughs> sailboats. That's, that's we did it for a hundred years. Yeah, that's literally an option, right? Like just as they were going around the Horn of Africa, like you know, embrace <laughs> tradition. Embrace like, tradition. You know, just big oak fucking. Well, mostly old growth forests that we use to make those giant fucking masks yeah, are yeah, gone yeah. forever. We'll point. make them so, out of all the plastic water bottles that we can't use yep, anymore. Some, yeah. yeah, yeah, put some sand in it, melt that shit down. Uh, that's totally a, a thing. But most likely, what we're talking about is nuclear shipping containers. They're going to be crashing into the fucking Suez Canal <laughs> during a windy day and are going to have to be like, you know, pulled out with like little tugboats and like fucking just crashing backup. into Navy. Uh, yeah. Navy like if tugs, you wanted to, yeah. Yeah. If you wanted to get those things off of fossil fuels, like good fucking luck, because the energy density for batteries, albeit is very high. It does not at all approach the energy density of fossil fuels. Yeah. Like the energy density of fossil fuels is amazing. That's why the industrial economy has exploded since their discovery. Look, it's because, like, yeah. Yeah, like, 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 think about this for a second. All right, this is um, a, a graph I pulled from Our World in Data, and it's mostly based off of uh, BP's uh, data, right? Mm-hmm. Total energy for the world, all right? 84.3% of it is still fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, th- that, just that, just that, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 16%, not fossil fuels. Yeah. Electricity generation only 63.3% from fossil fuels. Yep. Like, like we're not, and the, the fact that like, even if we did like mobilize the entire planet, right. To mm-hmm. replace all of that energy storage and production with solar and wind. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, what are, where do you get that energy to make the things that <laughs> are then going to make re- renewable energy, right? Yep. That's still fossil, yep. f- like you need fossil yep. fuels in order to transition this enormous energy yeah. hungry plant, uh, planetary civilization into renewable energy. So it's yep. like, it's really, um, it, 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 you gotta degrowth fucking something here <laughs> like something exactly. has to get and, smaller and, and what i wanted to talk about this uh, article so bad is that in a lot of ways it's right on which is to say that like if we're going to have an industrial civilization and we want to survive the 21st century then it needs to become electric as soon as possible which warrants things like wartime mobilizations command and control economy uh in terms of you know government uh interfering with the private sector to phase out uh, fossil fuels as fast as possible. It also needs to be done right now because of what you just pointed out. It's going to take a lot of motherfucking fossil fuels to get off of fossil fuels. And they're only going to become more expensive. So the best time to have planted a tree was 10 years ago. The next best is today. So the next best time for, you know, uh, doing a complete electrification of everything is now. And if we're going to do that, then we also need to degrowth because what we're going to have to do is we're going to be limited in our production capacity to electrify everything which means that some things simply will have to stop being done which means we need to take a very clear sober-eyed look at what we do as an economy on a global scale determine what is superfluous and harmful and what is critical and good and do the critical and good shit first and electrify all of that and stop the you know superfluous and harmful shit outright and that isn't talked about in this uh, article at all. And how we would be able to, in a debt-based economy, you know, like reduce production and not just completely fucking collapse is the big elephant in the fucking room. 
Because technically, we could do it. Like, technically, we do not need to give capitalists their cut off the top for the next 30 years. It doesn't need to be done. Like, that is something that we could just straight up not do and survive as a species. You know what I mean? And, like, here's the connection between our first article and this one, right? Is that there is no way to sustainably, to take the the few remaining fossil fuels that still exist in the world. We're past, probably, like, around 2011, we passed peak oil, right? And there's nothing... If, if, if we're, we're just getting less and less fossil fuels, do you really want to spend the la- few remaining fossil fuels making BlackRock rented uh, ranch homes in Phoenix, Arizona, electrified to uh, so they can have a cyber truck in every garage, right? Like, is that really the like the transition that you want? Right? These like the, these these massive companies own all of the homes so they will mostly get to decide what the electrification looks like yeah um and and what are they invested in a lot of them are still invested in fossil fuels so yeah. like it's not, not like, to mention yeah you'd have to get our politicians on board to do this who are all yep. being fine being funded by fossil fuels yep. yeah i You're mean exactly it's, right yep not to take away from your point david but like they're yeah. oh, no it, 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 they, i they think that, that is part of the point yeah 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 yeah, so I mean, this problem is so much worse than this Vox article is making it out to be. But what I like about the Vox article is it gets down to brass tacks to the technical things that we would need to do as a country, for example, to allow for any semblance of business as usual to even exist, or even fuck business as usual. Just being here in a hundred years from now. Like yeah. we need to do these things. But the degree to which we do them and for what purposes and what we exclude from doing with our newfound electrical capacity is a political question that is absolutely critical. Like we need to do less. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's gotta be all any, any approach that says all we need to do is degrowth. All we need to do is sequester. All we need to do is decarbonize. Like it, it has to be all three. Um, That's the only shot that we have, which is what makes it such a like, I would love to believe that all we would have to do is just transition to electric. That's all we would have to do. Um, That would be wonderful. I would feel I would sleep better at night. But it's just it's a it's a fantasy. And I really like the arguments that he's making by graphing uh, what the liberal politicians have been proposing for decades, i.e., the invisible free hand market, a low carbon tax, a strong carbon tax, a small market subsidy, um, you know, various like options and what they would allow us to do in what types of con, uh, con tax and stuff. And like all the tax and trade and cap and trade incentives and all that other shit is like garbage. It's like nothing. It's going to completely doom us. There's no fucking way that it will do anything fast enough. However, it's like to Brittany's point, it's part of the, the, the puzzle, but the greatest, most uh, critical things are what he calls the MFT. MFT. Yeah. Uh, which is the maximal feasible transition. And Saul is referring to feasibility, um, uh, which is to say keeping industrial exploitive capitalism at all costs. Um, But with that being said, the all costs that he's talking about is a gigantic uptooling in making and manufacturing the physical gear we need to live in a completely electrified world, which like I, I, I advocate for like, you know, like I want heat pumps to be everywhere. I want solar to be on every roof. 
to the degree that we can like figure out how to ecologically produce solar panels indefinitely uh, or, you know, recycle them or whatever. Um, and I want everybody to have an electric motorcycle um, and or a car that's closer to the weight of a motorcycle than a car. And I think that these kinds of things um, can be done, but I do not see them capable of being done without some type of like eco-socialist global revolution. revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. These and, are not things that any world government is world government. Um, any, world any government. government, any nation state is going to just like agree to do. Yeah. There's just too much money in it. There's way too much money in it. Yeah. And just cutting out the people who are just sucking up the human species wealth from the fucking dinner table is like not discussed at all. It's so obviously critical. Just, just <laughs> like, stop shipping things all over the world. Like we don't, there's no yeah. reason that everything that we buy has to be made in China and shipped everywhere else in the world. Yeah. No, like no. just bring manufacturing back home, you know, yeah. which is again, it, a, pro- a direct product of the profit motive. Like, like yeah. as with everything, the thing that's wrong with the world that we live in is the profit motive. Yes. And I won't be able to lithium mine in my backyard. That's going to have to be a negotiation with Bolivia and the people of Bolivia. And like, there's got to be a vision as a species that we can have that would allow for the West to engage in good faith negotiations with the Bolivian people for access to the uh, lithium that they sit on top of for the whole global supply that's equitable that the Bolivian people would actually want to do, not with a gun put to their head and a coup government. Right. Like, but they'd be like, yeah, cool. All right. Yeah, let's share. Let's figure out how to like, you know, do less and like, you know, decarbonize and, and electrify everything. And we want into, you know, like we want to, you know, like have nice shit and like live with a post-scarcity economy. Yeah, and, we like, want iPhones and electric cars and drone technology, the good kind that's fun, yeah. not the bad kind yeah, that kills people. Shit. But yeah. I yeah, mean, exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there is a, I, I think, a, um, what was the one other point I was, was going to make here? Is that, uh, oh, yeah. You know, th- this is actually a, a total coincidence that, um, uh, uh, that, we're, that we're talking about this at the same time that I, I just finished speaking in my classes about um, Cuba's special period, which is a, f- mm. a funny name for like a really awful period in their history, right after. Uh, it's like the, the fall cool the, zone. Yes, it, it is. It's basically the cool zone. Yeah, it's like right after the fall of the Soviet Union, they're you know like they're embargoed from every uh, American um, oriented nation, right? So they can't import like anything. The only thing they can import is like oil from Venezuela. It's like crude oil from Venezuela. It's like the only thing they can get, right? So um, thanks, so, Reagan. Yeah, well, and 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 at the time they had. Uh, specialized all of their agriculture for sugar production to export to uh, the Soviet Union. And then Soviet Union countries would give them like the rest of the the, the food because, you know, it's, it's just the same thing as the American oriented nations. It's, you know, like all specialization and centralization. Right. And, uh, and so in their special period, they, um, they bought like 2 million bicycles from China. They, Dope. They um, replaced a ton of fa- tractors with oxen, and they did some. They did something called relocalization, where you, uh, uh, you know, it's like the the guy tapping his forehead meme, right? Like you don't need oil if you're not going anywhere. 
<laughs> or, you know, you, uh, um, you, th- this is when they get real, you know, like they'd always been a, a net exporter of like doctors and stuff, but they, they, you know, they'd always been a source of like really amazing, um, medical knowledge, but they, they said, you know, like, Hey, if you are a doctor, if you want to be a doctor, you can, of course, as always for free, become a doctor. Uh, but then you have to go be a doctor back in your village, right? There's no, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. everyone in the village, go to the local, you know, like the, the hospital in Havana, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. It was like, we like, everything has to be where you're at. Like you centralize most. Yeah. Everything needs to be within walking distance. Yeah. Hyper local. Yeah. Everything needs yeah. to be within walking distance. That includes food. It, requ- it includes uh, medical attention, right? Everything that you need on a daily basis has to be within walking distance and not, uh, require this like massive amount of fossil fuels to to drive or mm-hmm. or, or even even uh, public transit right yep uh, and, and that's not even moving people right it's also moving goods so they would take um, they would retool uh, all the trucks to be buses so you instead of a, a, a you know like the the container at the end of a truck they made these they're called camel buses because they, they're like passenger like, trailer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big passenger trailer. It can carry like 300 people. You know, it's not comfortable. Badass. It's not comfortable by any means, you know, but it's, Hey, it's a special period. Gets right? the job done. Yeah. So you yeah. just like bring in a shit ton of people onto like one, one big truck. You know, so you like, the, the, so the, like there are lessons to be learned in like these, these like moments that, um, where, where like, yeah, yeah. You, you decentralize, you, uh, uh, create a lot of, uh, a redundancy and you make sure that yeah you're not like looking you know yeah it's like obviously you can't mine lithium in your backyard but you try to find ways to uh eliminate the need for lithium in the first place usually by you know uh, making sure that you know like that lithium that would have gone into a car you just don't need the car because yeah maybe you just you need, need a third of the car yeah right yeah, or something yeah. yeah yeah um so that reminds me of, you know, Bookchin, and I'm a baby communalist, um, and a friend of the show, uh, Mitch, reached out. Uh, thank you, Mitch. Uh, I want to apologize uh, to the Rojavan people, because I have been pronouncing the name as if it were Spanish. Rojava. I thought it was Rojava, too. Rojava. It might be. Who knows? <laughs> no, I think it, now, I think it is Rojavan. Because I think I remember Rojavan. Rojavan. I, 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 I remember had always that. heard Rojavan, but that, that's the that's the risk of being a person who reads. Yeah, sometimes you yeah, get the words see, wrong. I gotta stay stay post literate. <laughs> so th- this this article, the, the the first red flag that that I got, maybe it's like an orange. It's a deep orange flag, right? Is that it doesn't talk about industry. Right. And whenever oh, yeah. it says like only 5% or something. Yeah. Whenever a, uh, an article about energy focuses mainly on like residential. Yeah. Consumer u- cons- and consumer use. It's like that, that, that always, it, uh, you know, sparks a, a, a big umber flag for me because, um, <laughs> dehydrated piss flag. Yeah. Dehydrated piss flag because like so much of our energy use doesn't, isn't, in residential which um Correct. so the the um the american uh information or no sorry the uh energy information agency that's what that's what it's called mm-hmm. a, the eia eio 
with a petroleum product here and a natural gas product there. Okay, Rafi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, they have they they produce what what is probably one of my my favorite graphs of all time. It's a really um, it's really weird looking and like at first when you look at it, it's like it doesn't make it. it it's just it looks confusing for the sake of being confusing. But then when you actually look at it for a while, it, it, it's, it's surprisingly like a good piece of graphic design. Actually, we'll link to it in the show notes. I'll do our, do our best to translate it into this the, the audio one, right? Yeah. It'll translate this into the audio medium. The, the title of this graph is us energy consumption by source and sector. This is for 2019, which is the, the, the latest we have for this data where, um, uh, so the, the the overall look of this thing is that you have uh, three columns and they are connected by lots of tiny lines uh, going past them. And, the, and, the, and they're like sort of these, like these stacked graphs with different colors. And on the left, the leftmost uh, column is source, right? So it has stuff like petroleum, natural gas, uh, renewable energy, coal, and nuclear electric power. Then in the middle, some some of those lines connect to this middle, this tiny middle column that's all about the electric power sector. Basically, like how energy gets moved from where it's uh, from its source, where it's made, to where it's used in the end use sector. And then that final column is the end use sector, which is usually which is transportation, industrial, residential, commercial. Right, your SimCity care, uh, categories, mm-hmm. and then and then the and then. For each uh, source, there is a line coming off of it that has a percent that will show like the percentage of that part of the source that that goes to this end use sector, right? So for mm-hmm. so he, here's the example, right? Is that petroleum uh, in the United States accounts for thirty seven percent of all energy energy right yeah, yeah. so uh, 37% of our, of our energy the source is petroleum and then you see a little lo- a couple lines going off it and like 70% of that source right of petroleum goes directly to transportation which makes up uh, that petroleum is 91% of uh, all energy use in transportation and transportation accounts for thirty-seven percent of all energy use. Right. So, right. So, so the, yeah. the 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 point is that most of our petroleum, or sorry, let's start here. The plurality of our uh, energy sources is still petroleum. Most of our energy, you know, like the largest source of our energy is still petroleum. A vast majority of that petroleum, seventy percent, is used for transportation. And of all of the different kinds of kinds of energy that transportation uses, ninety one percent is still petroleum. And out of all the energy that we use, thirty seven percent is used for transportation. So it, w- w- what that what that shows overall is that our transportation sector takes up a, a, a the the plurality the most the lion's share of energy use mm-hmm. in general in the United States comes from energy and 91% of it is just from petroleum. And petroleum and is, is, chart, is our, mo- it, is our most used energy. 
<laughs> and all, all, also on this chart, uh, even if you were talking about, like, say, renewables, say you had something like uh, a solar farm outside of your town or whatever, what percentage of energy in electric is just going to waste? Just going to heat in distribution? <laughs> 65%. Yeah. So one of the things that <laughs> Saul's talking about in this is that you have to decentralize even the production because yeah. so much of the losses are just getting stuff from factory or, you know, power plant to home or factory or otherwise. Yeah. So like th- th- this might, this is so staggering that you might not have understood that 65% of all of the energy that we make is just lost in, heat. in, in, in heat, in trans, in transmitting it from the power plant to your home or the laser tag facility or, you know, whatever, whatever's using the electricity. Yeah, 65% of it just poof, just gone. From, usually from dissipated heat or, or 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 something else that just like you lose the energy before it reaches its its final destination. Which uh, is why by the way, uh, national grid is likely in the coming decade to incentivize battery uh backup in homes regardless yeah. of whether they have solar panels because that will reduce overall the amount of heat uh sent uh to loss because you're going to be distributing in peak hours from a nodal grid of battery backups to where they're needed yeah yeah so you have a shorter transmission line thus you have less waste so um uh, just some other kind of depressing figures from this this chart is like renewable energy all renewable energy right Uh, it doesn't even bother breaking it down into different kinds of renewable energy because um that only accounts for 11 percent it needs to be 100 by 2035 yeah. if we're not going to all cook our ourselves. Yeah. And uh, uh, 56% of that 11%, uh, right, renewable energy goes into the power grid. So then 65% of that, right, dissipates. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't need to be this way. Yeah. You know? uh, 5% of energy into transportation is renewable. 9% is in industrial. Seven percent is in residential, and less than one percent is in commercial. Right, so like all those uh, things where like Apple says like all of our we are carbon neutral. We make all of our all of our stuff is uh, is made from renewable energy. Yeah, it's our suicide prevention nets are actually made <laughs> from, from recycled plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's, it's just, uh, that's where we're going. That's what we got to do. Yeah. Uh, uh, nuclear power makes up 8%. Coal is the other 11%. And then natural gas is 32%. Thanks, Obama. Uh, our, our natural gas production, by the way, um, has, uh, just exploded since 2008 when, uh, when Obama took office. Did you did you guys see? Did we talk to, uh, at all about the um, uh, the the flare stopping, turning it into Bitcoin mining instead? Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, That's, yeah. At, at natural oh gas God. sites, they basically flare because, like, otherwise they'll deal with like overpressure or some shit. Yeah. And instead of flaring, they're you know mining Bitcoin with like a power generator. Yeah, spectacular. Anyway, <sighs> how about a wildflower? Yes, yes, indeed. How- Let's do one. This is, and it's pertinent. I found a pertinent wildflower. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, a startup company is developing a radioactive diamond battery that will run for twenty eight thousand years. What the fuck? Yeah. So what the fuck? Uh, it's a it's a U.S. startup called NDB, which stands for Nano Diamond Battery. Um, and basically, they are taking uh, radioactive isotopes from nuclear waste with layers of paneled nano diamonds. So these are coming from uh, graphite-cooled nuclear reactors. There are certain nuclear reactors that use uh, graphite to cool their uh, nuclear waste. And they're taking that graphite and um, uh, using heat. So diamond is a very good heat conductor. It's basically the best heat conductor. And so they're Hmm. layering this nuclear waste with these nano diamonds to create batteries that will basically last indefinitely. Well, 28,000 years. So, you know, relative to a human lifespan. forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's, it's very, it's a promising technology. Um, They're expensive to create, as you would imagine, because they're Mm -hmm. made out of diamonds. Um, And you need... Like they they only produce uh, each battery cell only produces a small amount of energy as of now. So you need a lot of them to power larger devices. But they were uh, developed to power cars. That was their goal in developing them was to eventually power electric cars with them. And it also um, works for disposing of nuclear waste, which is, of course, a very challenging problem. The diamond insulates the nuclear waste, so it's not dangerous for humans to be around it. Um, and, you know, there are a couple of questions about logistics, like, uh, you know, they're really expensive, uh, or how can we be sure that they protect us from nuclear wastes? And this is what NDB says, uh, the DNV, that's the battery stacks along with the source, uh, are coated with a layer of polycrystalline diamond, which is known for being the most thermally conductive material and also has the ability to contain radiation within the device and is the hardest material. 12 times harder than stainless steel. Um, so in short, uh, NDB said NBD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, the, 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 their website has like uh, so these graphics that say that have like, it's like a phone. It says estimated time remaining plus nine years. <laughs> so yeah, it's very promising. <laughs> they say they're going to have a working product in 2023. It, they were hoping to come out with it this year, but COVID obviously slowed down their production timeline. So um, that would be wild. pretty cool. That would help solve a lot of the problems that we've been talking about uh, today. You know, if something can hold a charge for for long enough, then you don't have to generate it. You know, you're looking at less loss. You're not having mm-hmm, to generate mm-hmm. as much electricity. You're not mm-hmm. having to constantly mine for new lithium because your batteries, mm-hmm. you know, they, batteries don't last forever. You're going to always need more of them. So... Now, finally, we have the technology so I can get a Tony Stark-like glowing rock replace my heart, and then I can, you know, operate all of my gadgets through wireless, you know, energy transfer off my coat. (laughs) Finally. Yeah. Yeah, we need to crack the Tony Stark technology because he must have used batteries to power all sorts of things. We need to figure out how he did it. Yeah, so a combination of... um, Nuclear waste infused vibranium diamond nano sheets uh, that he, uh, you know, just, uh, I don't know, like something like that. Just make <laughs> okay, it happen, cool. you know? 
<laughs> I, I didn't watch all of the Marvel movies. I'm sorry. Yeah, me I, was either, gonna, so. I don't think I knew, that's humanly I, possible, right? Like they made more than any <laughs> one human can possibly watch. You need a time turner. Hmm. All right. I think that'll do it. I am. My ass is, is kicked fully. Yeah. You got the, the, you got the jab, the vaccine. I'm very tired. I woke up feeling pretty good, but now I'm feeling quite tired. Yeah, okay. you're, you're looking so, jabbed up. I hope I wasn't too uh, low energy this episode. No, you killed I feel it. like we, we you did... guys did a great job picking up for me. So Absolutely destroyed well, it. The, the least we could do considering your uh, tour de force performance um, last bonus episode. Well, yeah. thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I hope folks yeah, enjoyed had a lot it. of fun talking about that. That was fun. That was a fun conversation. And this was a fun conversation. And you, listener, are the reason that we were able to have it. So thank you so much for your continued support on Patreon. We love you. Um, incredibly hot. You're very hot, hottest people on the internet, on or off the internet, frankly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, And, that's uh, all I got. All right. Yeah, we're gonna electrify everything, and we're also going to expropriate everything. It's gonna be great. Expropriado and electrifiado. Expropriado. Boy, I am very much fading. All right, (laughs) rojava. Uh, 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 And notice how we could have that entire conversation basically never mention Elon Musk. It's possible. Oh, did you do it? You did it. Oh, shit. We did it. It is possible to have this conversation without talking about that dumbass. You can do it. You can do it. (laughs) You can do it. It's true. It's possible. It's possible. All right. Have a good one. We love you guys. Love you. Stay safe. Take care. Bye-bye. Get get your COVID shot. Bye.